Hi, this is Kenny Loggins, and you're listening to Stuck in the 80s. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the hijinks. I've got a trade midterm tomorrow, and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. The opportunities. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And the wisdom. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? I'm alright. Nobody but about me. Why you got to give me a fight? Can't you just let it be? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. This is your host, Steve Spears from TampaBay.com. And with me, the Times pop music critic, Mr. Sean Daly. Don't fight it, Steve. Just don't fight it. I can't it. help it, man. I'm, I am so jonesing to get to this interview today. We have none other than the master of the 80s anthems, Kenny Loggins, today. And I'm going to be absolutely serious and sincere and say this is the best interview we've ever done. Easily. And been given. Yeah. He is... You're about to hear amazing stuff about... All the hits, Caddyshack, it's just, uh, you know, don't fight it, all is good stuff. It's really, really excellent. Right. It is. He's uh, A lot of people think of Kenny as being a 70s uh, phenomenon and, and with uh, his partner, Jimmy Messina. But uh, as you'll see here, man, he is Mr. 80s. And, uh, so good. We, uh, we're happy to have him. Uh, he was able to talk to us because he's coming to uh, Clearwater here in the Tampa Bay area to play Ruth Eckert Hall on April 13th. He was also just inducted into the Hollywood uh, Rock Walk, and he'll talk about that. But like, but like Sean says, the, it's stupid. We're wasting time. You want to hear Kenny. the Eddie, Eddie Money part? Wait till you hear the Wait Eddie hear Money this. part. This it's is awesome. Great. Anyway, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, first off, congratulations for your recent induction into Hollywood's uh, Rock Walk. Thank you. Are, is, have, are those stars? How, how, is that like a like the the the, hall, the the Walk of Fame that sort of thing? It, it's a it's a you know it's a copy of the Walk of Fame, but it's strictly rock and roll. Uh, they do the the hands in the cement or, or whatever else you want to put in the cement. And with knowing rock rockers, it's probably an assortment of body parts. Yeah, what else? What else did you put in the cement? <laughs> I, I stuck to the hands on this one, but uh, a, a couple guitar players have added an extra finger. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. What? Uh, do you know who you're next to? Uh, I've got uh, Eric Clapton is one space away. Wow, that's very nice. Yeah, no, they've got some serious players and and you know legends. Oh, that's cool. Uh, oh, I, I'm right next to the Isley Brothers. That's great, too. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So you just released a new CD called How About Now. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it was uh, very much inspired by my trip uh, um, two summers ago. Uh, went on the road on a reunion tour with Jimmy Messina. Excellent. And it was the first time Loggins and Messina had done a reunion in 30 years. Yeah, and you guys played Ruth Eckerd, right? We did. Yeah. And, um I, I love that hall, actually. It's got a, always a great audience. And um, 
you know, in the process of putting the Loggins and Messina thing together, I rediscovered uh, the way I'd written when I was a young man, and the acoustic guitar kind of approach to writing that I'd kind of left behind when I started collaborating with keyboard guys like Mike McDonald and David Foster right. and Bob James, and um, kind of came back to a Loggins and Messina kind of sound that uh, has a bit of a country rock kind of vibe to it. record how about now came into being was it weird um uh trying to shift gears like that and getting back with uh with, with your old partner on that tour yeah it was a little bit weird it was odd because we hadn't worked together in many years and um it was strange in the way you might be thinking of going back and doing material that i wrote when i was 18 19 and 20 right and um and seeing the difference in my writing how far i'd come since then um, I felt that really my my writing didn't didn't really come into its own until Celebrate Me Home, right? And now, then I think from that point on I started writing a lot stronger. Now, stuff. and that and Celebrate Me Home was your first solo album, correct? That's right. Now I, I want to ask about with, with, with Messina. Was that um, I mean a lot? You know, thirty-one years now that's passed since you guys you guys broke up around the, in, in seventy-six, right? Was that right. was it was it acrimonious? What? Well, you know, um, I'd have to say yes and no actually because um, we remained friends somewhat, but there was definitely tension by the time we broke up because we'd come together originally. I I met Jimmy to do a solo album. And uh, I was totally emotionally and musically ready to jump off and do my own thing. And uh, he was supposed to produce it. And then through sharing music, we made a single record that we called Sitting In, Kenny Loggins with Jimmy Messina Sitting right. In. And the idea was that that would be a duet record, but then the next one would be the solo record. And uh, so we were always a, a duet intended to break up. And then we, we stuck together because of pressure from Clive Davis. We stuck together because it was working musically, and, and it was also working on a popularity level. The people instantly took to it. We started off as an opening act at the Troubadour for Curtis Mayfield. Wow, that's a great and, show. And, you know, and then uh, within weeks, we were headlining arenas. That's hilarious, you guys in Curtis Mayfield. Yes, not a strange double bill. <laughs> super fly, you know. We got, you know, that's great. <laughs> that was that was, uh, and and we had the rough audiences to prove it. I mean, the the audiences did not, were not expecting, you know, a couple of white country rockers, right? And, uh, and so it was challenging, but it was also a good education. And I brought a lot of what I learned from him. Marvin Gaye sat in with him one night. I brought a lot of what wow. I learned from him. To to my R and B approach when I 
when I started to do the Celebrate Me Home direct, direction sure. and, and everything that came from that. Yeah, heart to heart, or yeah. God, did you meet Marvin Gaye? Briefly, but, you know, it, it wasn't Marvin Gaye that would, we would later, you know, I, become the icon. Yeah. It, was, it was just Marvin Gaye. <laughs> you know? Right. It was cool. I mean, we all went, wow. But, you that know, is backstage crazy. at the Troubadour, who'd think Marvin Gaye would, would have sat in with Curtis Mayfield at the Troubadour? So let me ask you this. So here's here's the late 70s. You've come out with Celebrate Me Home, which is, you know, dare I say, a classic album. You've got this adult contemporary and R&B sound. You win two Grammys, one in 79 for What a Fool Believes, and then again in 1980 for uh, Best uh, Male Pop Vocalist. And then suddenly here come the 80s with, <laughs> I mean, what what did you do? I mean, you've suddenly got a new genres of music and new sounds and new playlists for radios. It had to be somewhat of a challenge. Well, what happened was the movies. During a period of time where disco was coming in and was just totally taking over radio, I, I got lucky and took a big step left and went into uh, Caddyshack and right. Footloose and Top Gun and had one after another that just kept uh, kept the bread on the table for uh, Ever. You know, <laughs> most of the 80s. How does the soundtrack you know, business work? Do, do movie producers call you up and say, hey, Kenny, write us something for a <laughs> golf movie called Caddyshack? I mean... It's a little more general than that, but, uh, you know, with Caddyshack, John Peters produced that. I think that was his first production that he did on his own after he split up with Barbara Streisand. I met him when he was with Barbara, and we worked on Star is Born together and became friends through that. And um, so when John was making Caddyshack, he called me and said, come by, I want to show you what I've got. And I, what I saw was a rough cut. Um, of Caddyshack before they had an ending, which they barely actually had. Yeah, they barely and, had a script. <laughs> yeah, right, you know. They just said, Rodney, say something, we need an ending. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're all going to get laid, right? Yeah. Hey, let's all get laid. Hey. <laughs> and, oh, that, that works. And uh, uh, But I laughed my ass off. I loved that movie, uh, The Rough Cut. All the Bill Murray stuff was intact. All the Chevy Chase stuff was intact. Did you? You were and, never. So the 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 movie was almost pretty much shot by the time you started writing, like Mr. Knight and I'm All Right. Right. Correct. So you're never on the set or anything with the debauchery and stuff. No, I missed. I missed out on the fun. You know, I want to. In, in all seriousness, I, I I really consider I'm All Right one of the the ten best rock songs of all time. And I the well, more the more I listen to it now, though, is and this is probably me projecting, but I I'm All Right. I think is this perfect zen song it's very zen right because it's How's like because it, it's kind of like get off my back you know you want to get focused hey i'm you know i'm my own guy you know i i just like it. i mean i think and yeah. I, if you hear that song first thing in the morning i, I think you're gonna have a great day the, the rest of the day is gonna be awesome yeah i mean yeah, tell me a little was, bit about the, was, the writing of that well for me it was the character of danny the character that was you know trying to figure out where he fit in but at the same time, he wanted people to leave him alone and just let him fit, find his own way. And uh, so I, I wanted to kind of grab that character and 
and summarize him, and that's what I'm all right with doing. Temp music was a Dylan song in there, and so I got from that that they wanted a bit of a snarl to the oh, to the yeah. character's theme. Can I ask who sang back up on "I'm All Right"? Eddie Money had a line on it. It is song. Eddie Money. You know yeah. what? You make me you make feel, me feel good, good. That one, right? Yeah. yeah. I always hear. You know, whenever I hear on the radio or on CD, I'm always thinking yeah. that sounds just like Eddie Money. That was before he had his hits. He was in the studio working on one of his early records when I when I recorded "I'm All Right," and um, Bruce Botnick was working with me at the time. And Bruce said, "That guy's really good. You ought to bring him in." And I, I met him, and he was like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" I said, "Hey, would you do me a favor and sing a line on my song?" He said, "Sure." And he came in and did that line. Isn't that ironic? How That's things great. Go. And just that one line. Just the one line. But it's such a key piece of the song, you know? Yeah, it's well he's got such a great voice. It really pulls it forward. The um and I I wanna say and then then after Caddyshack um was Footloose, right? Right, right. And Footloose, I wanna ask you, of course, Footloose just uh, it turns you loose. You become, you know, the most sought after soundtrack guy of, of, of that decade and even into the nineties. Um your approach to writing songs for movies as opposed to writing songs for, for albums and for concepts. I mean, right. is it really greatly different of how you would write, say, you know, well, um, you know, I'm free or, or footloose or, you know, as opposed to some of your album cuts? Well, the, the biggest difference is that with a movie, you're delivered an emotional uh, content from what's going on with the, the actors and actresses in the plot. Right. So you, uh, as a writer, I try to write something that has more to do with them than me. Uh, naturally, because I'm writing the song, I'm going to come from my own experience on whatever, however I relate to what's going on in the script. Right. But but mostly, you know, those those the the energy of Footloose was delivered to me in the screenplay, and we and Dean Pitchford and I just wrote a lyric that tried to capture that emotion. So it's much less autobiographical than, say, a real thing from Leap of Faith sure. or Conviction of the Heart. Sure. Now, now, of your string of all your 80s soundtrack tunes, do you have one that's still kind of a personal favorite of yours that you still like to perform more than the others? Well, you know, I love to perform Footloose because, to me, it's, it's such a lighthearted tune. It's like, it's like doing a Chuck Berry song every right. night. <laughs> I never get sick of it. Um, I still love I'm All Right. Again, lyric, you know, like you say, the lyric kind of pulls me up. I'm less inclined to want to do Danger Zone. I didn't write it. It was a Georgia Marauder tune. Right. It's, it's a good rock and roll song, but I don't think it holds up that well. Did you write Playing With The Boys? I wrote Playing With The Boys, yeah. yeah. it's a fun song, too. Yeah, the, that's um, a fun tune. Were there any movies? So I imagine, so in the 80s, 
people are like, we got to get Kenny Loggins to do a song for our movie. Were there any movies that became, like, say, famous that you were asked to do or write a song for that you turned down? Any notables? Uh, no, I wish there was, but I can't give you a good story on that because I don't have one. Um, I, I, I did most of the movies that were delivered to me. I, that's why I did Over the Top. I did... Uh, um, well, in the '90s, I did One Fine Day. Yeah, One Fine. You did, um, yeah, um, for the first time. For the first time, yeah. Right, that's that wasn't. A nice song. That was not a song I I wrote. That was delivered to me by Donnie Einer, who was president of Columbia Records, and and he loved the tune and felt that I was the guy to do it, and he was right. For the first time. Um, talking about uh, uh, Meet Me Halfway for Over the Top, you know you were by far the best thing about that movie. <laughs> it was a good tune. It's a gra- are you kidding me? It's a Giorgio Moroder tune. It's, it's a great tune. I mean, you sung the hell out of it, but my God, is that movie bad. <laughs> I got a funny story. I was up late last night. I got home from work around 1.30, and I was ready to go to bed. And I'm flipping around the channels, and I see Caddyshack 2 is coming on in 30 minutes. And, uh, I'm like, and I said, you know what? I'm going to stay up till 2.05 just so I can hear Kenny sing Nobody's Fool one more time. Yeah, I love what that. What a piece of shit that movie was. Yeah, oh that's, it, is, it is a piece of shit. But Kenny, I, that's a yeah. great song. I'm, cool. I, I bought it on iTunes. Nobody's Fool is... Uh, is a, almost a close to perfect pop song. It's just you—you you just kind of shoved, you know, the the bad Caddyshack two words in there, you know. But I mean, I, re- I mean, you must have said, "Man, I wrote a hell of a song here." I, you know, I would have kept really it for an it was album. A strong tune. I, I I expected it to go farther than it did, but I think it was straddled to a just a really bad movie. Yeah, any movie with Jackie and, Mason—that's pretty much the kiss of death. Yeah, and well, that was a sad state of affairs that they couldn't get the right people back. But um, yeah, Harold Ramis had nothing I, to do with it. it right? I did it primarily because it was a John Peters movie. Mm-hmm. John was back at it and wanted me to wanted me to do it, and it made sense. Again, the best thing about that movie is right, that yeah. song. I mean, I turned, I turned the movie off at 2.06 after the song was over. Yeah. Do you do Nobody's Fool in Concert No. No, I haven't, but you're making me think I should. You should. Oh, it really is. You, my God, that chorus is just... Yeah. It's crazy good. I have to drop it at least a whole step now, though. That was so high. That was the it highest is. note I could sing back then, probably a B. No, that would be a... Probably a C sharp. I'm going all the way. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Best Very podcast high. ever. Yeah, thank you. You've made my day. <laughs> and, yeah. And you, you talk about some of the great people you've worked with over the years, and I, you've done some great songs with Stevie Nicks and, and Michael McDonald, and then you have this one really unique song. It's one of my personal favorites. Don't Fight It with Steve Perry. Don't fight it. 
I just got to know, how the you, heck did that collaboration come adventure, about? Off High Adventure. You are definitely an 80s aficionado if you're into that one. Oh, I think that's the ultimate 80s <laughs> anthem. Where'd you get the bullwhip sound effects? <laughs> I yeah, love I those. That bullwhip is actually, don't tell anybody, the bullwhip is from the locker where they kept the Indiana Jones soundtrack sound. Oh, that's... We, got, we snuck in there and we, we got the bullwhip and we sampled it. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. well done. Do you, I mean, it, you know, asking about all these, um, you know, kind of iconic songs you, you, do, you duet with somebody, I mean, especially you and Stevie, you know, you have this amazing mu- musical moment that's carried on, uh, you know, do you ever talk to Stevie anymore? I mean... Uh, we haven't talked in a long time. We're still friends, but it's yeah. just, you know, two different paths. Right, sure. But she's, she's terrific, and, you know... But had you guys known what, each what other? What a talent. I don't think we realized, even then, is even though she was the number one female in the country for a couple of years, I don't think we fully realized, you know, what kind of talent she had. She was so unique. Did you, I mean, how do you guys, I mean, how much time did you have before that to, to generate the chemistry that's obviously on that track? A lot. Um, I was uh, opening act for Fleetwood Mac for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. And, which was a huge break for me. Not only did my friendship with Stevie and, and Mick come from that, but also um, the the opportunity to play for thousands of people every night is is a huge break for for any act. Was that when they were touring behind Rumors? That's right. Oh wow! That was Rumors, oh, so wow. I, mean, I couldn't have picked a better moment to no hook up with them. You talk about thousands of people. We'll, we'll skip ahead a bit. And I, I just wanted to ask when, when after uh, Convictions of the Heart, and Al Gore kind of co-opted that as like a environmental anthem, right? Yeah, that was that was uh, big for for uh, in the environmental movement there during that, and, that period. Of time. And you go to the national that was the early nineties. Yeah, you go to the National Mall in, in D.C. and you sing for half a million people. That's a trip. Five. I mean, I got to ask you, Ken, is there a difference? I mean, and I'm serious. Is there a difference between singing between 20,000 in a stadium and 500,000? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, you're playing for, uh, you know, a city. Right. And an entire city. And I mean, I remember one time Loggins and Messina, we played Madison Square Garden, and um, 2,000 people were in a fist fight. While the rest of the audience didn't even know it, <laughs> it was that big. <laughs> and that's you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of energy flying around. And that was the inspiration uh, for Don't Fight. Thousand people, you can't comprehend it. It's just as people as far as you can see on the green. But that didn't affect your performance, though. I mean, I mean, obviously you were you were a seasoned pro by then. I mean, well, right. yeah, you do you do what you do. I mean, you yeah. get up there and do the best you can, and and. It's a rush, definitely, yeah. and, and, you know, you just get up and do the best you can. At a certain point, I have to admit, it doesn't make a difference. You know, sure. I, I'll play as, as focused and as the best I can for, you know, 2,000 people or, you know, anything on up to 500,000. It doesn't really matter at that point. It's just, it's the same, it's the same rush. Right. How's it different touring today than it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago? Well... 
know, each one of those eras has a different thing to it. I, I think in, in many ways the touring is coming back full circle, where touring is is mattering to people more than it was for quite a long time. I, I think it affects record sales now, and it, for a long time it didn't have anything to do with record sales. It was just a way of surviving. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, April 13th at Clearwater's Ruth Eckerd Hall. Kenny Loggins, this has been a pleasure. Well, thank you. I am spent. It was so good. That was incredible. I was like, yee-hee-hee, it's Kenny Loggins. Sean and I were sitting here doing high fives during the middle of the uh, with podcast. Our, with our shirts off. Why were our shirts off, uh, by the way? Because it's a little warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was really fun. Kenny Loggins. I'm, are you going to go? You want to go there to see him? Oh, yeah, definitely. Of course. The thing, here's what I love play. so much about that interview, is that for 25 years, I've been listening to I'm All Right. I can't, you know, this great rock song, I'm All Right. And I always thought I heard that background voice, and I was always like, man, that sounds like Eddie Money, but it can't be. And it's Eddie Money. And he just sings the one line. And then the bullwhip and don't fight it, actually from the locker, the Can you sound locker. I, you couldn't have invented If I had come up with that on my own, you would have said that was the most far-fetched thing in the world. But to have Kenny Loggins tell it to us, holy yeah. cow. But Kenny, it, it sounds like he isn't really super proud of don't fight it. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's okay. I mean, we love it. He, his fans love it. If, and then if, he sings, then he serenades us with nobody's fool. That's it, this is a this is a keeper, my friend. This is keeper. It's good. It's you good know what? One. one of my favorite moments. And he didn't. Uh, he didn't berate me, <laughs> like Huey and Lewis. emasculate me like Huey, Huey Lewis, Lewis did, did. Yeah, which is always a plus. You know what I'm gonna do tonight? I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna queue up uh, Caddyshack. And I'm just gonna feel the goosebumps that roll through your body when the sprinklers pop up and it goes like. Oh yeah, that's good. And then, it, and then he picks up the beat for the song. That, my friend, is a magic moment. And the song was all written about the Danny character. Yeah, I always kind of thought it was the Ty Webb character, but he wrote about Danny. Yeah, well, that's what you see at that moment when he's uh, Danny played by Michael O'Keefe. That's right. Who was married to Bonnie Raitt? <laughs> really? Yep. Uh, worst Michael O'Keefe movie ever would be uh, what Slugger's Wife. No, I love the Slugger's Wife. <laughs> that's horrible. You know why I love it so much? Because of uh, Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, that's good. Predictable. It would have been better had there been a Kenny Loggins song in yeah, Slugger's Wife. That's true. That's what that's what every song. That's what every movie from the eighties is missing. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the show with Kenny Loggins. We had a great time talking to him. Uh, his new uh, CD, How About Now, is out there, available exclusively only at Target. April thirteenth, Ruth Eckerd Hall. Or go to KennyLoggins.com to, to check out for his other uh, tour stops. Um, he's a must-see. That yeah, was awesome. That was great. Anyway, Thanks, so until, until next time, we will remain here with Kenny Loggins and Sean Daly, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. To read our blog, go to blogs.tampabay.com slash 80s. Email us at stuckinthe80s at tampabay.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.